Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hey guys, it's Jared. This is part two of my discussion with Ann Bremner and Evan Berrialt about the Josh and Susan Powell case. Enjoy. That I see. I, I hadn't heard that that they are actually appealing the case. And that, mm -hmm. what what is their justification for appealing? It's like honestly, how could what what did you say, Ann? In the um, I want to say there were like. 37 major red flags or some crazy number like that. I, yeah, I mean, you, you showed a graphic on that. You could double that. It, you know, it was, it was horrendous. The red flags that were ignored. Of course, the biggest, which was no child has ever died in a secure visitation facility in the United States ever. And yet knowing that Josh killed his wife, you know, remember camping in a snowstorm with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, you know, and she just disappears. And that's the story that we all heard. But that the fact that he had killed his wife, there's probable cause to believe he killed his wife. There's a search warrant that's been executed. I mean, that we all, we all know probable cause has to proceed execution of a search warrant. Yet they have him alone with those kids. Right after he had been ordered to take a psychosexual evaluation and a polygraph, you know, a polygraph. You know he doesn't want to take a polygraph when he's the main suspect in his wife's death. And all the other red flags along the way, I mean, we knew that he tortured animals as a kid, that he tried to kill himself, that he pulled a knife on his mom, that he molested a girl by the pool with his brothers. You know, it goes on and on in terms of what was known about Josh Powell. And of course, Stephen's infatuation with Susan, and he didn't seem to mind that. There were just so many things. So we had these red flags, 60 some odd, that we showed to the jury. And then at the end, we put them all together and you can see them all at once. And it only takes one, it really only takes one for the state to be negligent. And there were some 60 odd red flags. And that was very persuasive to the jury. States can't act this way. They can't when they have children in their care, custody and control, they can't act this way. Not the way they did in the, with the loss of Charlie and Braden, those poor little boys. I mean, there's only like a sock left on Charlie after the fire and they lived for at least 10 minutes, maybe up to 20 and they were conscious the whole time that they were hatcheted to death and burned. Uh, well, I, I, without getting too graphic, I mean, first of all, the the crime scene, as you guys were describing the, the crime scene in West, West Valley, uh, just their house, right? I mean, there's blood everywhere. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, it, it, to me, as you were describing it, it, it sounded very much like uh, the the blood spatter and the blood stain uh, patterns after a stabbing, and right, uh, you know, especially for for blood to be on the ceiling and other places, it's like I I understand there's no body, but even based on that, there's there's still so much. Uh, I don't know if I'd use the word probable cause. I mean, you guys are the, the attorneys out of it, but um, what, uh, what what was the justification for for not... I, I, and a lot of people, and maybe you guys can help with this too, mm -hmm. a lot of people say, well, why, why didn't they just arrest him? 
Well, it, you know, there's 35,000 pages of police reports. And if your listeners and viewers want to, as we offer at CrimeCon, want to access those and help us, you know, find Susan and other, any other clues to, to basically look at, you know, her disappearance and search further for her, that, that would be wonderful. The, the DA told the police purportedly that this is a nobody case and we don't feel comfortable prosecuting a nobody case. We know there are nobody prosecutions that are successful, you know, all over the country. There's even an individual, he's got a website, I think, called nobody.com, which he basically offers his expertise in, in investigating and prosecuting these types of cases without a body. So that having been said, that was the decision there. Detective Maxwell uh, has, Ellis Maxwell has taken a lot of heat on this um, for not effectuating an arrest. But in my mind, and I've said this many times, there was probable cause. If there's probable cause for a search warrant, there's probable cause for an arrest. They're the same thing. You know, probable cause is probable cause is probable cause. I believe they should have arrested him and they had ample evidence, including the life insurance, um, the blood, you know, ceiling, floor, it's her blood in the house, the fan drying the couch, you know, his internet searches, his tall tale about the boys, and the boys' own statements that they witnessed what happened to their mom and drawing even a picture of their mom in the trunk of the car. Those are just a few of the items that I think supported a probable cause determination for the search warrant and what up for an arrest of Josh Powell for homicide. Hmm. Any, any other thoughts on that, Evan? Well, I mean, Susan's phone being in the van when he yeah, showed I, back up at the house is a big, it's a big one for yeah. me. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the emails and correspondence that, that we actually discussed and Anne talked about it at CrimeCon mm -hmm. as far as, I mean, Susan detailed this relationship that was riddled with domestic violence. I mean, all the mm -hmm. precursors were there. So you, right. you compile all that together. The fact that you have this written out last will and testament that says, if I, if anything happened to me, if I'm missing, there's one person that you should point the finger at. There's one person that did this. It's right. my husband, Josh Powell. I mean, so you have everything's pointing the finger. And then what does the guy do after his wife disappears? He packs up and moves away. Yeah, that to me, oh my gosh. Talk right. about a red flag. Right. <laughs> Let's yeah. see. My le my wife, who I love uh, just interminably, uh, is missing, and I have no idea where she is, but I'm going to pack the house up two weeks later and move. Right. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure who this question should go to, but maybe we'll start with you, Evan. Is why why, in your mind, why do you think so many women stay in relationships like that? I mean, if Susan knew that she was in enough danger that she would write basically a, a, a last will and testament saying, if I disappear, then it's Josh, uh, why wouldn't she just leave? I mean, it, surely there was enough resources out there. And I live in Utah, and I'm telling you, there are so many people that would have brought, you know, brought her in, helped her get to right. Seattle to her parents' house. Uh helped her get, you know, resettle somewhere, just get away from him. Why, why do they, why do they stay in such a, uh, an abusive relationship like that? So the way, the way that I'll start this answer, Jared is one, I, I, 
it's not completely fair for me to answer a question like this as a as a male uh just to 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 start right i've never been in the position of a female in a relationship and kind of what that power struggle is like but i think it's really important to recognize that um regardless of whether or why susan chose not to leave um is kind of it's irrelevant in the sense that it's not it's not susan's obligation to leave right uh, the, the obligation is for someone like Josh not to be engaging in forms of domestic violence, right? And a lot of times we ask that question, well, why didn't they leave? Couldn't they have left? Couldn't they have done that? And, you know, that, that's kind of victimizing Susan, suggesting that she did something wrong. Susan did absolutely nothing wrong. And I can't no, and say... I, I, I hope you don't under... I, I mean, no, I, and I'm I not didn't want to imply that at all, but, but it's just one of those where... Um, and I understand also being a male and uh, like my wife and kids uh, whenever my kids and I get in wrestling matches you know the kids are always like uh, you know Marla help me or you know help us you know tackle dad and she's like no way I, I'm not going to get involved with that you know he can take all of us and I think there's a lot of I don't know what percent but there's a lot of relationships that are like that where the male is just such a dominating figure and, I, and I'm I'm sure that the fear that Susan had to be in and, and in no way do I ever want to make the, you know, the impression that mm -hmm. anybody uh, other than Josh is responsible for any of this. But at the same time, it, there's, you know, Susan was a rational, you know, you know, clearly thinking person. And it's just one of those where there's so much available to him. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is it psychologically that he was doing to her that would right. that you think would would make her want to, or, or yeah, I be think, scared I think, to leave. I think psychologically he was using the children against her, and I think that was what she cared about most. Is she was so concerned about those kids, and she wanted what was best for those kids. And you see it in her own writings that that Josh would basically threaten her with the children and say that she wasn't going to get the kids. And I think she was so worried that if she did try and leave that she didn't have the financial resources to fight Josh in any type of custody battle. Um, she was concerned whether people, I think, were going to believe her or whether they were going to believe Josh. And in kind of the, the power struggle of their relationship, we see it even in the, in the video, the home video that she made where she's showing all these things that, that Josh had done and he had kind of built this psychological control over her. And, you know, even when you do have resources and you do have friends and things that, that want to help you, it's, it's a really difficult choice because you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what that's going to look like. And I think for her, she was so fearful of what that was going to do to her relationship with her, with her sons. But I also think uh, as a woman of faith, she really believed that there was a good person really there. Like with, with Josh, she, she believed there was a good person. She believed he could change. She believed if she put in enough effort, she could reform this relationship. She could improve upon that. Um, and so I think it was just for her, really, it was a combination of her own faith and a combination, combination of her overwhelming love for these children that, that she never left. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, on one hand, on the other hand, it's like, oh, you know, Hindsight is always twenty twenty, and I, I think all of us, um, whether it's a football game that you know we think we could have done better at, or even right. you know talking about something like this, it's um, it, looking back on it, 
of course, there's so many red flags that I, I think that's the natural reaction is everybody's like, well, why didn't she just leave? Well, but there's there's obviously millions of relationships like this across the country and, and across the world for that matter. And um, but especially here in the U.S., there's so many safety nets. There's so many uh, you know opportunities. But at the same time, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's there's a chance that she could have lost those kids. And I don't think she was willing to to. I don't think she was willing to risk that. Right. What do you think, uh, Ann? Well, I, I agree with Evan in your comments, but I, I also think we have a lot of her journals and other writings, of course, in this case, she was talking about leaving him. You know, she was talking about getting a divorce. She was also saying she thought maybe he had some kind of mental health issue, maybe bipolar disorder, because he changed so much. And so, we all know that one of the most dangerous times for a woman in a domestic violence situation is when she leaves or when an individual leaves. And I think that's a lot of what happened in this case is that she was getting ready to do that. She had a time limit ultimatum, you know, for him to change his ways. And we know that domestic violence is coercive control. And, you know, he had her controlled in finances, what she could eat, what she could spend. She had to ride a bike to work. I mean, she, she basically was under his thumb in all ways. And we have information in the police reports that he had a picture of her with a cut lip. Even his own mother said that, that, that he had assaulted her in the marriage. And so all of those things, you know, I think came together where she was, where she, where she was killed because of domestic violence, but she didn't leave because of domestic violence. She was controlled by him, but especially those children were controlled by him and she was worried about losing them. So you said the most dangerous time for a woman is right after she leaves? When she and, leaves. And, when okay. The, the, the conventional wisdom on these cases, and I used to prosecute these cases, is that the most dangerous time for a woman in a DV situation is when she leaves or she's going to leave because that's when things escalate. And, and so the theory in this case was that's what happened here, because we can tell from her writings and her emails to her friends and everything. And what she told her family is that she'd had it with him, you know, and she, she was done, but he figured she was done and, and basically took her, took her life. So you're, you're talking about maybe she was packing bags, you know, she was doing something in order to uh, actually have some sort of some means you know close for the kids that kind of thing i don't know if or she was i don't it, know if she was that close i, I don't think she was that okay. close i think she had just made the indication that that's what she was thinking of doing telling him mm. you know that that an ultimatum perhaps but not necessarily packing her bags well well i i'm i'm sure there were enough flags in her mind mm -hmm. that she was obviously preparing it, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just celebrated 30 years of marriage and, and I know that with that much invested in there, you don't, you don't want to let it go even with hard times. And you're, I, I think in the back of mm -hmm. any person's mind, you, you have to be like, well, you know, there's, there's a chance that, uh, you know, I can help this person through this tough mm -hmm. time, you know, this, uh, my spouse or, or kids or whoever, when you have that, that much of a tie, but I don't know. It's it's such a it's such an interesting dynamic where we're all basically 
human beings interacting with each other. And sometimes those red flags, especially it's like you get so close to the forest that you can't see the forest through the trees. And, and I don't know, I, 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 I just hope that there's in any woman that's listening to us that is in that kind of a relationship, you know, knows that hopefully there are resources that, that she can reach out to because I, I, the, I of all the cases that I've helped, you know, along with MVAC systems is that are, that are domestic violence or, you know, the sexual assault, you know, those, uh, violence against women. Those are to me the most damaging to society, as well as mm -hmm. the the most heartbreaking to me. Because in uh, many times, hindsight, of course, um, they they appear at least that they're avoidable. So, oh, you're absolutely you're right, and there are so many resources. But we have to remember that these are cycles of violence, and somebody will come back and apologize and to the perpetrator, and it's all going to be fine, and then it just starts again, and so. I, I really urge all of your listeners and viewers to know that there's a lot of resources out there and there's always help, always help for victims of domestic violence. It's a very serious crime against families. Like you said, it breaks up families. It can lead to homicide and the cycles just get worse from what I've seen and what the experts say. One cycle and then the next one's worse and the next one's worse. We even heard about that in the OJ Simpson case. That that's what happened to Nicole Brown Simpson. So yeah. um, it's important to discuss these things and to take heed. Yeah. Well, based on that, Evan, why don't you talk about the uh, familial side sure. and kind of that cycle and and how? Um, I, like I said, when I was sitting in your presentation, I and you were going down that checklist. I was like, oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, red flags were going off in my mind all over the place. So. Uh, yeah, go go ahead. Yeah, so you know, familicide, uh, how it's usually described, at least if you hear it on the news, is is family annihilation because people aren't super familiar with the word familicide, but it's basically an individual that that kills their family members. Uh, and then you have uh, like filicide would be killing your your children, and I, it's important to note that this is rare. Familicide is is a rare occurrence, mm -hmm. but uh, we it's a big deal because you hear it in the news when something like that happens it's it's almost unthinkable i was actually i think just yesterday i i, I read about a case of a uh, a mother who killed her three children and i think she was having a psychotic episode she killed her three children i think with the assistance of her 16 year old son um, i just read about this and uh it's primarily perpetrated by men uh, I, I think statistics show that mm -hmm. it's usually 85 to 95% are men. Um, and the kind of the primary factors really for familicide is he had a, one, he had a you, bankruptcy as a society, we, we kind of have always placed men in this breadwinner role. And there's this expectation that they are going to be in that role and mm -hmm. that they are going to perform. And what we see in these situations of familicide is that individual is failing or they're not performing. Uh, you know, Josh Powell is a good example. Uh, he struggled financially. Um, he had failing businesses. He had a failing realty business. He couldn't really keep a job. Um, and I, I used, yeah, he had a bankruptcy. 
so you have these situations where you've you've lost control that's really the big piece of this is you, you lose control uh we i'll use again josh powell's scenario he's losing control over his marriage he's losing control of susan he's losing control of the finances everything is falling apart so in their mind they think all right what is what are my options here well it's i i take everybody out and as i indicated at, at CrimeCon, there's kind of two ways this goes there's one, an individual that is really trying to harm or punish their family for their failures. There's also the individual mm -hmm. who believes these people can't be without me. They can't live without me and they can't go on. If I'm failing, they're going to fail. So I take them out. And it, Stephen Supple was an example that I used. Uh, Stephen Supple was a, a banker who was indicted on, on banking charges, who was clearly going to go to prison. And he ended up killing his uh, four adopted children and his wife. And his belief in writings and phone calls after was that it was going to bring so much shame to his family and they couldn't survive this. They couldn't go on without him. So he decided to, to kill them. And, you know, there's, I think there's a, there's an element of um, something is going on wrong mentally, right? With these individuals, mm -hmm. they don't, they don't think like, like you and I, uh, Josh Powell is a good example. Josh was a, was a narcissist, right? So for a narcissist, when things go wrong, it's really bad. They, they kind of lash out. They, they react the way Josh did. So when Josh, for example, found out he wasn't going to regain custody of his kids, that he was going to undergo a psychosexual evaluation, that he was going to have this polygraph, his response was to lash out. And I think when Josh mm -hmm. killed his kids, it was twofold. It was one to punish the Coxes and others who opposed him. But I also think in Josh's mind that those boys could not live without him and that no one could father those children. No one can parent those children other than Josh Powell. So his only option was to kill them. And sadly, you know, it's really hard to analyze these mm -hmm. cases because a lot of times the uh, actor ends up killing himself, uh, you know, Stephen Supple, as, as an example, Stephen Supple, he killed his wife and kids, and then he drove mm -hmm. as fast as he could down the, the freeway and ran into a, a bollard or some other freeway sign killing himself. So we, we don't usually get those answers. So they're, they're difficult to analyze. They're difficult to predict. And Jared, you made a comment about, you know, you see some people and you think, oh, gosh, maybe this person fits, fits that, mm -hmm. that, that role. And you know, we, we got to be a little bit careful because just because somebody has certain traits, it doesn't mean they're going to go and kill their family, but it is something to recognize. And the big one is really domestic violence because almost all of these cases statistically tend to have some form of domestic violence that existed previously. Uh, there are some times where it doesn't happen, but that's the, the one you really got to look out for. And if you recognize some domestic violence, you know, do everything you can to provide that individual help, whether that's male or female, as Ann indicated, there are plenty of resources out there. Um, and if, if you can attach to those resources, please do. Or if you have a friend that needs those resources, offer those up. Well, but when you say domestic violence, I think most people, they, they look at physical violence. So d describe some of the other domestic violence that you're talking about. Well, as, as Anne mentioned earlier, so financial, for example, so controlling finances, where you're simply indicating, 
okay, you can use this card at this time. You, mm-hmm. you can't right. spend on this. You can't spend on this. I'm going to control the finances. So I have control over that. Just the emotional, right? Calling someone names, putting them down, uh, telling them how to dress, telling them how to behave. Uh, those are other non-physical forms of domestic violence. And those oftentimes end up being the precursors to what does end up becoming physical domestic violence. So there, there are multiple levels of domestic violence and it doesn't have to be physical. And that's, you know, that was actually kind of a, a, a big issue in our case against the state is that the state trains all of its personnel and it has this massive handbook on domestic violence. And it informs its personnel that there does not have to be a, a hitting act, a kicking act, a physical act of violence, but there's other forms. And those were all existent here in the Josh Powell, Susan Powell case. And yet the state completely ignored those things. Um, you know, right. even when, when Ann, when actually, Jared, you made a point about, you know, violence towards women, violence towards mothers. And even the attorney general during the, the shelter care hearing, which is when the boys were pulled out of Stephen Powell's home, recognized, and he says to the court, he goes, we don't buy Josh Powell's story about going camping in the middle of the night. And he goes, this is the worst form of domestic violence that you could ever perpetrate on a child is harming their mother. So the state started its case on dependency, recognizing that Josh Powell very likely killed his wife. It's the worst form of domestic violence. And yet they continue to give Josh everything he wanted in that case, which ultimately allowed him to kill those two boys. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.